Hey everybody, it's Steph. Hope you're doing well. October the 30th. Potential podcast. We're not sure. We're out for a walk with the Bellykins, who did not, decidedly did not want to go into the car to go to the mall. So, sorry, just opening up the philosophy hatch. And we're just going to go for a walk. It's a little rainy, but she's hooded and set. And, uh... I was uh, thinking yesterday, uh, interesting interesting topic, uh, interesting to me, maybe it'll be interesting to you. I was thinking that it's always been, I've, I've always been kind of curious what free market philosophy might be like, what free market philosophy might be like. And of course, it, I've talked about this before, but I was really thinking about it yesterday the degree to which FDR sort of conforms to that model of free market philosophy. And philosophy really has three uh, phases uh, in history. Uh, The first is aristocratic, right, in ancient philosophical, sort of 2,500 years ago, Socrates, Plato, and et al., that they did not need to work for a living because they had slaves and property. And so it was a um, an aristocratic pursuit, not a market-driven pursuit. And Socrates didn't charge, and so on. I would he'd take, I think, food donations or whatever. But it was an aristocratic, and, and sorry. And the people who studied with Socrates tended to be the kids of the rich, uh, almost invariably, because everybody else was you know, slaves or working or soldiers or whatever. And that is uh, not really a market-driven philosophy system at all. And then uh, the Romans didn't do that much innovative stuff. When it came to philosophy, I mean, they did some great stuff with laws and uh, imperialism and the general corruption of late republic democracy, but they didn't do much innovative stuff when it came to philosophy. I mostly inherited the Greek uh, ideas as, as well as they inherited and adapted the Greek gods. And then, and so there really wasn't much, but what there was, was, again, aristocratic in, in nature. And then philosophy moved really under the choking, fetid umbrella of theology for over a thousand years, and was not something that was pursued uh, in, in a market situation, right? The priests had certain aspects of philosophy. They loved Aristotle for reasons that are quite interesting, which we'll get into at some point. It's a very interesting story. They just called him the philosopher, not not a philosopher. The, right? In the same way, they just called God, God, not a God, right? But, um, uh, and, and theology was not a, a market-driven philosophical situation at all. And from there, we moved from theology, and again, these are very broad generalizations, but uh, I am wearing a dress. So, from theology, we moved to academics, right, the, uh, to academia. And academia is not a market-driven <laughs> environment, right, in that people who study philosophy in academia do so not to engage with the general public in on philosophical or in philosophical items, but rather to get jobs in academia and, uh, and so on, right? It is, a, uh, it is a statist, monopolistic, and fundamentally kind of aristocratic, but uh, certainly not market-driven approach to philosophy. And those sort of three major phases, aristocratic, theological, and academic, have really kept philosophy out of the free market. Now, 
uh, you know, populist philosophers like Ayn Rand, uh, to a much smaller degree and to a much worse degree, uh, John Ralston Saul up here in Canada. Um, but Ayn Rand in particular was philosophy that was driven by market forces. But it was not uh, nearly as two-way as FDR is, right? Hundreds, uh, sorry, thousands of uh, of listeners. Uh, you know, I get like 40 or plus or more emails a day uh, with uh, sort of feedback and comments and YouTube comments and comments about particular podcasts and questions. And uh, of course, I have convers- had hundreds of conversations with listeners on a variety of topics. So Ayn Rand, you know, again, uh, a great philosophical and to some degree literary genius, but not somebody who was intensely engaged with her audience, I think, in the way that I am. All right, let's go around here again, darling. And uh, she was not uh, an entrepreneur, or did not have entre- entrepreneurial experience in the way that I do. And again, please understand, I'm going to compare myself to Ayn Rand, but I'm just happy to be a small part of her shadow. But uh, I think that it's, uh, it's interesting the degree to which FDR is driven by the market, right? So there are two aspects to the free market, or sorry, two aspects to the organization of resources in an economy. And they can be broadly ca- categorized as a push market and a pull market. So a push market is, I've written a book and I sort of push it out and see who's interested in, uh, in buying it. A pull market is where you do all the market research, figure out if people want the widget, get orders ahead of time, and then build to meet demand, right? So in one, you're creating a product and just seeing who wants it. And in the second, you are consistently and constantly tailoring that product to the shifting forces of uh, consumer or customer demand, or client demand, listener demand. And Ayn Rand was part of the push market, which, you know, it's uh, perfectly valid. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm really part of the pull market. And the two aren't completely distinct, right? I pushed out some podcasts, and it was only then that I really started to get involved in uh, getting listener feedback, so there were some push aspects, and then, but it really did become a pull market in that I would put particular ideas out, and then I would see who was uh, interested in them and what topics they were interested in, and through the listener conversations and the board, I get a sense of what is actually interesting to people. And so there is an, such a strong aspect of uh, a, a pull-free market uh, in this conversation. I can't think of a philosophical conversation or community or group or whatever that has had such a close alignment to market forces, to consumer or customer requirements in the past. So it's very interesting to me, and it's not, you know, it's not because of any entrepreneurial genius on my part, it's just because the technology exists. I mean, the fact that I have always been customer-driven in my career has helped that along, but it's the technology that allows me to get so heavily involved in conversations, uh, in, in feedback from listeners. People can email me for free, the board is free, conversations with me are free, uh, Sunday, and of course on the Sunday shows, right? I've done, oh gosh, what, two or three hundred Sunday shows by now. And uh, that is uh, something that uh, is... Uh, Again, a great because I don't sort of set the topic. I maybe do a short intro, but people then talk about what they want to talk about, and that is a very interesting thing. And it's also very far away from. I mean, arist- aristocracy is not a market situation, and uh, uh, 
theology is a push market insofar as you inflict lies upon children and then you create a demand for priests, right? You, <laughs> it's a push market in the way that uh, heroin is a pusher market when you get people hooked as children and then they have to come to you for heroin or methadone for the rest of their lives. And academia is not, it's a push market, but it's not even a market really. Uh, there's a little small aspects of market in terms of people competing for jobs. But it's not customer-driven at all, right? It's almost completely funded by the state, and the only reason people study it um, is, you know, they couldn't get into <laughs> non-humanities, maybe like Marx were low in high school, or because they want to get a job in academia. So it's not something that, is, that faces the world. And I was always sort of curious, what would philosophy look like if it were really embedded in a customer-driven market situation? What would philosophy look like if it was driven by the actual legitimate, objective, empirical, economic requirements or demands or preferences of our customers. If people were actually consuming philosophy as a product, what would it look like? And I think it's fair to say that the way FDR has sort of shaped out is a pretty good example of what philosophy would look like, or what philosophy does look like, when market forces are present. And I, I think that's something really worth meandering over in your mind, you know? Um, what is it that people want? Well, they, they, they want sort of an understanding of the world that they live in, in an abstract sense, right? I mean, in terms of metaphysics, epistemology, uh, economics, politics, and so on. And that is of great interest to people. But um, where the rubber really meets the road in terms of philosophy is the degree to which people feel that they can understand and appreciate the value of particular virtues, you know, courage, integrity, honesty, humility, and so on, and the degree to which they can bring those values to bear in their real life, right? And that sort of makes sense to me. I mean, to take a, another example of, of diet books, right? I mean... Uh, most diet books have sort of three components, right? They have theory, they have practice, and they have recipes. Right? <laughs> um, I don't think we have too many recipes. Some, I guess some of the listener combos could be considered that. But uh, So you read sort of the South Beach diet or whatever, there'd be a whole bunch of stuff about carbs and sugars and all that kind of stuff and how your body processes X, Y, and Z. And then there will be what you need to change in your diet to conform to the scientific theory of nutrition that's being presented, and then there's examples of things you can cook and make and, and eat that will conform to that. And uh, in the FDR paradigm, sorry, so, so if it was only theory, if it was only just the science with no practicality, then it would not be particularly um, helpful or engaging to people. It would be something that would be published in an academic journal, perhaps, of nutrition, but not a populist kind of book. If it was only change your diet without any science behind it, I mean, there are some diet books out there like that, I'm sure, but it would not be particularly uh, uh, grounded in any kind of reality. It'd be easy to dismiss, you know, just some guy's belief and you should eat X, Y, and Z. And if it were only recipes without theory um, or practice, then it would just be a cookbook, which is not the same as a, a diet book, right? It would just be things to cook, not relevant uh, relative to any kind of health issues, right? So think if you're a diabetic, you pick, pick up a cookbook for diabetics and it's going to have, you know, the theory and practice of insulin production or the failure of that. Um, why you eat, why you need to eat, what you should eat, how to practice, and some recipes, right? So so I think that aspect of things where you're going from theory to practice to examples 
yeah, you know what, the listener conferences I think do fit into examples, right? People actually struggling to put the stuff into practice in their life. And certainly some of the conferences where I talk about that, they're important as well. But uh, so we have a theory, um, which is the sort of intro to philosophy stuff. We have the practice, which is the practical aspects of bringing philosophy into your life, right? So RTR and some of the other stuff, and uh, and on truth. And we also have the examples, right? So me and others uh, who are struggling with the challenge of implementing these values in our daily lives actually talking about this, which I think give people a sense of, you know, recipes that taste good, <laughs> recipes that don't taste good, cooking examples that go awry, and so on. So I think it's very interesting to think about FDR as, I mean, I think, I think, the first example of what philosophy looks like from a populist, market-driven, pull economy sense, and I think it's worth mulling, mulling over, that in a sense, it, uh, if it is the first show that really is customer-driven, consumer-driven, and that shapes, right, that shapes what the show is, that the show is a reflection of demand, just as every business that is pull-driven is a reflection of demand not a reflection of supply, not a reflection of the preferences of the entrepreneurs, but it's a reflection, it's a mirror held up to what people actually want to do with these, with, with the values that they are uh, interested in learning about. And I think that's, that's very interesting. It's a, it's a mirror to, uh, to the society of those interested in philosophy. And I think that's something that is, it's worth mulling over. And if you know of any other examples, I would certainly be happy to hear about them. I don't, but that doesn't mean anything other than that I don't. So I just thought I'd mention that. It's sort of an interesting thing to, uh, to mull over, and I hope that you will find it of interest. And do let me know what you think. As always, I look forward to your donations and your support, and uh, I truly, truly appreciate your interest in and participation in this conversation. <laughs>